You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And today's show is brought to you by Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. They were birthed out of the burden to help those in the community and congregation who've come out of a difficult past and an addictive lifestyle. And we are giving away an autographed Paul Horning home green uh, Beckett style jersey from pristineauction.com. Again, it's autographed by the great Paul Horning, the Golden Boy, Hall of Fame uh, running back, kicker, uh, quarterback in college, won the Heisman, all that stuff. Uh, one of the the greatest Green Bay Packers ever put on the jersey. And, um, yeah, so we're going to give away that autographed jersey here. If you want to enter the contest, all you got to do is go to my Twitter account, at Packers underscore access. You will see a tweet that's pinned at the top of the page. Make sure you retweet that tweet and uh, follow the account. That will enter you into the contest one time. And then if you want to enter yourself in multiple times, you'll notice that there's another tweet attached to that one with an opportunity to donate to Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. Every $5 you donate will enter you into that contest one additional time. And, um, yeah, so, you know, the the last giveaway we did like that was really cool. We actually gave away um, indoor club seats for the uh, Packers Monday night football game against the Rams, in which I just got back from Green Bay. And um, the gentleman that won that contest, the reason I bring it up, his name was Seth Ruder. And um, Seth made a huge donation to uh, Drew and uh, in his GoFundMe to get Drew a seizure service dog and, and get the funds in place, the training, all that stuff, so he could um, have that amenity. And, um, yeah, so that put Seth into the, uh, into the drawing a ton of times, and he ended up winning the drawing. So um, that's why I mentioned it. If you want to donate, uh, it just puts your name in the hat. Um, you know, obviously multiple times there's no limit on how much you can donate. So you can give to a good cause and give yourself a better opportunity to win that Paul Hornick jersey. Now, back from Green Bay, first of all, you probably hear the voice. It's rough. Um, I'm going to go ahead and guarantee you one thing on this podcast. There's no way I'm getting through the entire episode without hacking. Okay, it's going to happen. So I apologize in advance. Um, I had top A flu before uh, we left for Green Bay. I actually was on the back side of that. I was no longer contagious. The doctor confirmed that and uh, was feeling a lot better. And we get to uh, Green Bay and uh, 
here comes the cold, the wind, the snow, all that stuff. And, and you know, excuse my language, but I'll be damned if I wasn't going to get out in it because that's the that's one of the things I absolutely love about Green Bay, Wisconsin, is just the weather. I, I'm weird like that. And uh, we got out on Aaron's uh, Hill and, and done a lot of tubing. You guys, I'm sure, seen the video on Twitter, all that good stuff. Um, we were out in it the entire time. You know, it's funny, one of the – one of the best moments of the entire weekend. And I'm not going to talk great detail about the weekend because I'd like to get the guys on with me. Uh, Justin, uh, possibly Seth, uh, you know, the winner of the contest, um, definitely Jacob, and get the guys together and just kind of talk about um, the game itself and and the sh- and the, uh, the trip and all that stuff. And us just getting to meet face-to-face and hang out. Um, but – I'll tell you this, man, one of one of the best days, and we did a lot of fun stuff. We being uh, me and my wife, we spent seven days up there and we're able to do it right. And um, we went to the ice skating ring a couple of times. Right. And just kind of hung out. So we're sitting there on a bench. The snow's falling. It's absolutely gorgeous. We're staring at Lambeau, but we're also watching people on the skating ring. And anyone who knows my wife, Mandy, her most favorite pastime is just watching people fall down. She is, she's got, I think the reason she's still married to me is because I fall down so often that it's just, just constant entertainment for her. I'm the guy that if somebody falls down, I'm going, I I try to look away and and make it seem as if I didn't see them because I get embarrassed for people real easy, right? Not her. She'll run up on them and point and laugh. She just loves watching people fall down. So we just sat there having a cup of coffee at the ice skating ring in Titletown and just watch people skate by and bust their rear end. That was like <laughs> probably one of the highlights of the week uh, for us. It was just it was awesome, man. And, and nobody got hurt. I'm not trying to be mean. It was, you know, obviously in good fun. But, man, what an awesome trip. And I just want to say, though, getting to meet Justin uh, from the Packernet Fantasy Podcast. He does a show there with Jacob. Uh, he and his wife, Nicole. I mean, just talk about a great spirit about people. Um, just awesome. It was like we had known them forever. You know, and my wife uh, just absolutely adores Nicole. And it was the first time she got to meet her. Um, just just seeing them kind of hit it off. It was it was really, really cool. And then obviously meeting Seth, the winner of the contest. Man, what an awesome guy. Um, I knew I was meeting a Packer fan and I knew I was meeting someone who has a big heart because he was willing to donate and give to set to uh, to Drew and his, you know, situation. And, and that's what he told me when he won. He's like, man, you know, I, I really I just wanted to help. Uh, you know, help Drew out, you know, get the seizure service dog. And um, he was like, you know, I, but winning the tickets is awesome because he'd never sat in a box like that. And um, getting to meet him, the thing that surprised me about Seth was this dude knows ball. Like, we talked ball the entire time. <clears throat> and and he knew, I mean, like, to the point where I'm like, man, I want to get him on the show. Like, I want to have him as a guest from time to time. Hopefully he's willing to do that. I didn't even ask him at the at the moment, but – you know, by the time the week was over and, you know, and the game was over, it was like, man, Seth, very well spoken, knew all the ins and outs of the team. There was a couple of times he pointed things out to me that I didn't catch. It was just it was a really cool experience getting to meet Seth, man. He just like I said, just a football nerd like all of us. And then Drew Drew met us over at D2 before our tailgating <clears throat> party. And uh, man, what a what a great dude. Just so appreciative of of everybody um, being willing to help. You know, because it was, you know, it was more than just Seth. You know, there was a lot of people that donated to that cause. And I know 90 percent, if not all of, of the people that donated, they they could care less about winning the ticket. Right. It was about, you know, making a difference. And that's what we always wrap the pot up with. It's always important. OK, um, is 
while we're stuck here on this big ball of mud, let's let's make a little bit of a difference. Let's make a little dent, right? And uh, and and you know the time that we're here. And Drew was just extremely thankful. And um, what's cool is if I understood him correctly, he actually volunteers at a local animal shelter, which stole my heart right away because I'm a big animal lover. You know, I love dogs. Um, I love you know animals in general. I'm not a cat hater or anything like that. Please, that's not what I'm trying to say. Um, but you know, mainly dog people. Like we've had now. I think four rescues um, that uh, we've still got one that's alive, but um, all of them we've taken in. Um, you know, I'm one of those people. I personally would not buy a dog. Um, I'm always, when we're ready to get another pup, we're going to go down to the shelter and pick one out and uh, give it a home that it otherwise wouldn't have had. Right. So that's just kind of how I see that. But <coughs> excuse me, he donates to the, uh, or uh, donates time, you know, uh, volunteers, I should say, at the local animal shelter, and they've helped raise money, right, um, and spread the word for it. And if, if I understood correctly, just Ryan's network had raised more money than um, than anybody else. So, like, that's the difference that you guys and gals make. And I, and I just wanted to mention that. I don't mean to be long-winded, but um, that stuff's important. And I just wanted to thank each and every one of you for contributing to that. And, uh, and just kind of jumping into the fight with us. And, and now we're moving on to something else, right, which is Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. And we're going to move on to something else after that. Um, you know, we're, we're always going to have something, uh, an opportunity for listeners to give back and sow that good seed and uh, and just make a make a difference in this crazy world. So And then, of course, Jacob. I can't leave Jacob out, man. Jacob was – it's funny. I probably get the least amount to say about Jacob because, like, when we – first met there at the game, it was like we had known each other forever. Like, I, and I'm not exaggerating. It was just like we were <laughs> long lost brothers or something. It was, man, it was something special uh, getting to uh, to watch the game with him. And um, we sat right beside each other there in the in the box and just seeing his excitement when we first walked up and seen the seats. And, and uh, he's been to many Packer games, as have I, but this one – hands down meant more than any of the others because, you know, we got to share it with people that uh, that we care about. And, guys, this is only going to grow, and I'm going to move on to Packer Talk. I apologize, but I just wanted to take a few minutes and talk about it because my email has been flooded with people going, man, how's the trip? What's your favorite spot? Did you try this? Did you try that? I just want to talk about it real quick. But we're going to try to do this every year to where we all, the PackerNet community gets together and goes to one game and hangs out and spends a couple days and goes out and eats dinner and all that stuff. So, we're, <laughs> excuse me, we're going to get organized for next year and try to plan that trip, okay, and do everything we can to make it convenient for everyone. So, um, really, really excited. But, again, meeting Jacob, man, uh, it was just, it was awesome. So, all right, with that being said, game takeaways. I'll hit this real quick, and then we're going to talk about Miami, okay, and give you guys some, some good Packer talk and, kind of what to expect in the Dolphins game, which everything is on the line for the Packers. But as far as the Rams game, I thought, you know, we could go through and, and dissect everything. We could do a chalk talk and we'd be kind of behind the eight ball, you know, <coughs> excuse me, um, uh, you know, with a, a little bit of time pass. I typically like to do the very first episode following the game other than the postgame show for chalk talk because it's still fresh on our mind. We could turn the page, move on to the next game. But in this case, what I thought is from my perspective, Sitting in the club uh, suite, right, and and you know, kind of having an all twenty-two view of the field, what popped out to me, and then I went and, and looked at PFF grades to see, okay, was I right there? Did it really, you know, did, did it kind of confirm what I seen on the field? And three things stood out to me. The first one was Keyshawn Nixon. 
so many times. Keyshawn Nixon kept us in that game, guys. And and really, I I would venture to say that this was the biggest win we had all year. And some people would say, well, you know, it was it was the Rams. They were kind of depleted, but nobody was saying they were depleted last week when Baker Mayfield came out and won the game, and he played great, right? So like, I'm sorry, man. You can't. You can't have it both ways. You can't turn around one week and, and be impressed with somebody, and then the next week just go, "Oh, this win means nothing. They're a horrible team." That's BS. I'm sorry. That's 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 lazy football talk, in my opinion. But the thing that kept us in this game, and 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 again, we ended up winning. I, I can't even remember what the final score was. I think it was 12 point victory, if I remember correctly. And then we pushed the ball all the way down to their one and knelt. And a couple people booed, like, "Man, let's punch it in here. Let's let's extend the score." I felt like it was more. Um, I don't know, more fulfilling for me to see them push the Rams defense all the way down to the one-yard line and then go, all right, mercy, here you go. We didn't sweep the leg, right, karate kid. We just nailed on the ball, pushed them all the way back as far as we possibly could inside the five if it wasn't the one, and and then nailed on the ball. I think that is absolutely awesome. But Keyshawn Nixon kept them in the game. I mean, he the thing that when people, you know, somebody said, what's one word that comes to mind when you see this guy, they tweeted this out. And I said, natural, the dude just looks like a natural football player. He, you know, there was rumors that he said he wanted to play slot receiver, right? Play that, you know, that role. I think he could do it. I'm going to tell you the player he reminds me of, and this is just watching him firsthand guys and how he carries the ball, how he fields the ball, how he moves on the field, that natural instinct he seems to have. Um, and I'm not saying he's a Hall of Fame caliber player. Please don't understand. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm just telling you the first player that comes to mind when I seen him play in person, and that's Charles Woodson. Charles Woodson was one of those guys, you could put him at punter and he would figure out how to punt. You could put him at kicker, he'd figure out how to kick. If you played him at quarterback, I bet he would have been effective. Like he is just a football player. No matter what situation you put him in, he wants the ball in his hands. He's going to be aggressive. He's not going to play scared. He's going to play with swag. He's going to play within the scheme, but also, uh, you know, flirt with that line of, okay, I'm willing to do a little bit too much to really, really stretch my role out here. He's just one of those guys that wants the ball in his hands. And that's what I seen with Keyshawn Nixon. All, all night long, he would continue to flip the field for us in special teams, you know, returning the ball. And it, it was it was like every time they punted him the ball, and I said this to Seth in the box, I was like, Seth, dude, it's so weird, like, I went from being a nervous wreck every time the Packers forced a fourth down and were forcing a punt. I was more nervous on fourth down punt returns than I was on third and three and them trying to get a stop. And that's ridiculous, right? And that's where it is a flaw on the coaching staff that it took them so long to go away from Amaria's punt return, <coughs> excuse me, to Keyshawn Nixon at punt return. Like it, the, the fact that you had this guy in camp, you had this guy on the roster – and, and it never dawned on you that this is the guy that should be returning the ball. I don't mean to play armchair quarterback or, or or try to pretend like I know more than the coaching staff, but, man, it should have been so apparent. Like, you should have had a rotation of punt returners and kick returners and let them actually play for a position. It was like because Amari Rodgers was a third-round pick, nope, he's got to be the return guy. He has to be the return guy. And, guys, that's absolutely ridiculous. That is on the coaching staff. And I'm not suggesting – that anyone be fired. You know that's not how I approach this, right? But it was just, man, when I seen him returning punts, and, I, you know, like I told Seth, the anxiety is gone. And what a great feeling. Check it off the list. Now, here's the problem. He's going to be a free agent next year, right? 
get him a freaking contract. The amount of value that you need to place on him being a punt returner, not to mention that he can play slot corner too. Like he can play on defense. He can play every aspect of special teams. Guys, this is what Bill Belichick did for so many years is he put money into those players that would play multiple roles, that Swiss Army knife. It's important. It's so important. So natural football player removed all the anxiety. I get back home today. I pulled the PFF, and sure enough, his return grade was an 87.9. That's exactly what i seen on the field. And, uh, yeah, just a stud. All right, on defense, the big thing that stood out to me on defense was Quay Walker. Quay flashed big time. And Jacob said it all night. You know, like I said, he sat next to me in the box. And the all night long, it was, man, Quay is – like, look at he, – he, he should have had two interceptions, right? He really should have. And you've seen all year long, and, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it, call me a sucker, but I'm all in on PFF because I have really tried to debunk them all year long. All year long, you know, you hear people, oh, hey, PFF's a joke, blah, blah, blah. And, and I get it. You know, everybody's opinion, you know, that's cool if that's your opinion. But all year long when I would watch a game or I would go back and watch the tape and I would cross-reference or cross-check with PFF, it matched up all year long. Never once did I go, man, that's really surprising. Sometimes in the heat of the moment of watching the game in real time and then thinking someone had a decent game, you I wasn't watching them every snap, but you seen them get a sack or two or whatever, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, they're going to have a high PFF grade. And it didn't match up. You go back and watch the tape, and it's like, Really, that's the only two plays they made, so it matches up, right? But Quay flashed big times, and the reason I bring that up is PFF all year long has suggested he's had good coverage, right? He's been good in coverage. And he, he two opportunities he had to intercept the football, and both times he was in perfect position to play the pass. I mean, it was absolutely awesome. Like, you know, Jacob and I were like, oh, my, like we were disappointed he didn't pick the pass off, but at the same time it's like, he knows how to read coverage. And I'm not suggesting they do this, but I'm telling you what crossed my mind several times, and I mentioned it in, in the Packernet Discord chat, was I wonder what he would look like at strong safety. <laughs> and it sounds absurd. It sounds ridiculous, right? But the guy is just – he's that good in coverage. And the first person that comes to mind when you think, all right, who would you compare him to when you see him in coverage? For me – Sean Taylor comes to mind. Sean Taylor was big. He was fast. He was physical. He was one of those guys that – I'm not suggesting that Quay Walker is as good a player as Sean Taylor. I personally think Sean Taylor, if his life hadn't been cut short, would have been a Hall of Famer. I mean, the guy was just he, – he was a Hall of Fame caliber player in my opinion. I'm not saying Quay's on that level, but that's who he reminds me of. The way he's he's got that big frame and he, and he moves so well and he plays so well in coverage, it's just like – Man, it it kind of makes me wonder what he could could he somehow do that at strong safety, right? And the answer is probably no, but that's what came to mind. So again, I come back home, I check the PFF grade, Quay Walker, eighty-seven point zero defensive PFF grade, completely checked out to what me and Jacob seen. Now we've all seen that Quay, his big struggle has been in in you know in tackling, right? He misses a lot of tackles in space. That just seems to happen. Now, when he makes the tackle, man, does he bring the thump, right? And maybe that's the problem is he's always trying to bring – put himself in a position to bring that big hit that 
it, the fundamentals aren't quite there yet at the NFL level. Maybe some of the things that he got away with at Georgia, you know, playing at the college level, he can still make the tackle. Um, maybe that's the case. I don't know. I don't pretend to be a coach and understand all the fundamentals. of. It's one thing you're not going to get on this podcast. I'm never going to suggest that I understand better than the coaches that, okay, well, here, he made a fundamental mistake here in throwing the ball. He should have kept his index finger on the ball a little longer or he should have broken down here, bent the knees more to make the tackle. I'm never going to pretend like that, right? Like I, I'm just not going to do it. I, I am going to point out <clears throat> certain aspects of schematics and say, okay, you can't blame this guy or you can't blame the coach when it's obvious the scheme was this, right? But uh, Quay, man, um, he, he struggles in tackling. I think his tackle grade was in the 60s. But, again, um, coverage was great. And then the sack, man, it, it kind of looks like a pass rusher. I mean, he really does with that burst, that quickness. Um, so I don't know, man. Maybe maybe his role changes next year. And you're, what's really good about him playing, and you guys have heard me say, if he's struggling that bad in tackling and in the running game, maybe we do a rotation of Isaiah McDuffie and just to kind of stabilize that a bit and let him play a little more third down where there's most likely there's going to be more likely coverage involved. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing, throwing ideas out there. But um, the fact that they're going to get a full season look at him at inside linebacker and what can he do, right, um, I think is absolutely huge. So um, that's a positive there. So, again, uh, you know, coverage and the sack and all flash. Now let's go to offense. On offense, the person that flashed to me, um, you know, A.J. Dillon had a great game. Don't get me wrong. I think he only had like 11 carries. Um, when I say great game, it's just he ran very physical. It was exactly what you needed in that cold football weather. Um, a guy that you could tell the defense really lost interest in trying to tackle him um, or at least trying to stop him in the backfield. Uh, so, uh, you know, he had a great game. But the one that stood out was Romeo Dobbs to me. Um Romeo didn't have a huge stat line, but if I remember correctly, I think I heard him say over the PA that he caught every ball that was thrown to him. And then uh, I heard people, I haven't listened to Ryan's pod yet. I just got back into town. We were in the airport all day yesterday, um, you know, flying to from Green Bay to Atlanta and getting a connecting flight back here to Tennessee. But Ryan, they said uh, he had mentioned that um, he had limited snaps. I expected that, okay? I, I didn't look at those limited snaps and think, okay, the coach is screwed up. He's coming off an injury. They knew he would be rusty. They thought he would be rusty, right? And, um, you know, you haven't played football in that long. You want to kind of ease them back into that row. I think that's what that was. I don't think it was we need to get Lazard all the snaps, right? Um, although I agree with Ryan 100% from what I've seen on Twitter and, and him communicating with fans, um, listeners, that Lazard is not that guy, you know? <laughs> We all had high hopes that Lazard might be a number one receiver. I was pretty confident he'd be a number two, a solid number two receiver. I don't even know if he's that, you know. Um, I really don't. So, from here on out, man, it needs to be any time that you're in a, a two-wide receiver set, whether it's, you know, a, a 12 or a 21, um, you need to make sure Dobbs and Watson are out there. They seem to be the two best receivers on the field. And that's exciting, guys. I mean, that's that's freaking awesome. I don't see any reason to bring back Lazard unless you bring him back on a veteran minimum. He goes test the market, doesn't get it, comes back on a veteran minimum, and you got a solid number three. I mean, that's that's about as good of a number three receiver as you could have in a league, I believe. You know, um, it's funny how far he's sank, right? Because I had high hopes that he might be a number one receiver, but it just shows you people can kind of play different roles. But Romeo Dobbs just looked poised to me in that game. Great hands. When the ball is thrown to him, you I don't man, it's amazing that 
through training camp and in the preseason, early in the season, it's like, yeah, but he's had drop issues. And that just disappeared so freaking quick. It is such a parallel to Jamar Chase last year. And I'm not suggesting Romeo Dobbs is as good as Jamar Chase. I think Jamar Chase is probably a top five, if not at least a top 10 receiver in the league. But, you know, Jamar Chase had drop issues early, fixed them immediately. Dobbs seems to have done it. And it's so cool because you heard stories of him coming out and, and working on the jugs machine after practices and just making so many catches every single day. He's worked his way through that. That says so much for a late-round pick. And uh, just look, poise, great hands. And the other thing is how confident he plays in traffic. There were so many times that in that game, virtually every catch he made, to the best of my knowledge, you know, seeing it from that that high up view and then also watching on the replay on the big screen. So we had like the big screens right in front of us too. So we're kind of catty cornered, kind of got that all 22 look, which I absolutely love. And we're indoors front row though. So we have nobody sitting in front of us. We have plenty of space. It was just best seats in the house, in my opinion. I like sitting down in the bowl. I like sitting close to the field. But when I'm in close to the field, I'm constantly going, who was that? What happened? What, you know, and everybody, you you want to celebrate with the fans and it's a great atmosphere and you obviously want to be loud and 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 make that impact on the game too. Um, but being up top, man, you really get that coach's view and you can kind of see what's going on. And I'm a big pre-snap guy. What are we attempting to do here? All right, where's the motion coming from? All right, there's motion. Is it man or zone? Okay, what concept? Are, okay, that's, there's a smash. All right, like all that stuff unfolding before your eyes is how I love to watch the game. And then having the big screen for the replay. But every time I seen Dobbs make a catch or being on a play, he was in traffic, meaning there was multiple defenders around him. And, and a couple times, like once he ran, you know, some people call it a zag. Some people call it a reverse Dino. Um, so I think, you know, some call it a whip. But he kind of, he came out ran a quick jab step outside, then cut back in. So you're trying to fake a quick out and then come back inside. And Aaron put the ball right on the numbers, and he's got people all around him. And Dobbs just just – he, he looks so comfortable playing in traffic. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. And I, and I love that about him. So came back home, checked the offensive grade, 89.1. Now, again, limited snaps, right? You got to kind of curb the enthusiasm a bit. But the guy did exactly what you needed him to do. And 
I think, guys, we got we got a one and a two next year. I really believe that. I think we got our, our top two receivers. If you go and get another one just to be sure that this doesn't happen, what happened in the first half of the season, as these guys begin to you know progress, then you're going to be in really good shape at the receiver position. I really believe that. Um, so that's the thing, the takeaways, being at the game in person, that really stood out to me, right? And, again, I wanted to come home and kind of cross-check it. I felt like Aaron had a bad game. Um, get back, the PFF grades in the 60s, not absolutely horrible. But the interception was on him. When the ball came out, we seen – I can't remember if it was Tunyon or Lazard. Um, I'd have to go back and watch it. I haven't watched the tape yet. But whoever the, the receiver was meant to be, I thought it was Tunyon, but I may be incorrect there. Um, I immediately thought he's open. And when you know when the ball was overthrown, it was an interception, I'm like, okay, let's go to the replay. Was the ball wobbling? Is that the thumb? The ball was not wobbling. It was a tight spiral. To me, it was just, you know, Rodgers was off the mark. And it, and it wasn't like you don't throw a tight spiral inaccurately. Like when you're trying to put the ball in a specific place, if it doesn't go where you wanted it to go, the ball's going to have a little wobble. It's just it's, – it's almost impossible for a ball to be a tight spiral and not go exactly where you want it to go. Like that's just – that's the way it, it works, throwing the football, right? And – the fact that it was a tight spiral, I don't know if he was expecting the receiver to go deeper. And if he was, then that's on him. The receiver ran the ran the uh, read the coverage right and he ran the route right, in my opinion. It was just on Aaron, and you could tell it was on Aaron. So that was a little bit the vibe I get is it's more the ribs than the thumb now, that the ribs are still healing up. And I know he took a few shots in this game, although the offensive line I felt held up pretty well, but that one I really expected. Okay, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna get dinged for that. Now, the the big talk, the hand signals, and all that stuff. I love the conversation on the McAfee show. Um, how you know it? The things that were conveniently left out of that article is why people don't trust the media. And I want to just leave it at that. But how they didn't mention that Jordan Love is the one running the meeting, right? That Aaron lets Jordan do that, and and they kind of quiz each other on the hand signals and this and that. It's not Aaron Rodgers' hand signals. It's Green Bay Packer hand signals. It's hand signals that Jordan Love would use in the game, right? And I bring this up because there should have been another touchdown uh, passing catch, and, and and Christian should have had another touchdown catch, right? And that was the check at the line. You've seen Aaron come out. He rubbed his arm once. He rubbed it again. He gave the signal twice, and Cobb got the signal. Cobb got the signal because he's blocking for Christian. He's expecting Christian to catch this smoke route and go straight into the end zone. He's ready to block, right? And that was on Christian. And Christian acknowledged that, right? Now, Aaron made a comment on the McAfee show that, um, you know, maybe we should have had uh, Cobb back there so he could get the touchdown. And he, I, To me, I didn't take that as he's bashing Christian. I took that as he's letting Christian know, like, man, we like they wanted to keep that momentum going. They wanted Christian to have another touchdown. He wants to go to Christian. Right. Uh, it's just it was a mental error and it's going to happen. You know, it's growing pains. You've seen it happen with Devontae from time to time. Very rarely. But you would see Devontae miss the signal. Right. And Aaron's kind of bringing him along. And I shared a picture on Twitter of uh, Aaron and uh, Aaron and Christian Watson kind of embracing in the locker room, you know, shaking hands or whatever. And it's just an awesome picture. It's one I'm going to have framed and put next to my autographed Christian Watson jersey because you know, whether Aaron walks away this year or plays another year or whatever, um, 
it just it's so cool that Christian's first year he got to play with a Hall of Fame quarterback, if if not more, you know. Uh, and and I'm in the camp of I hope Aaron comes back healthy next year, and everything looks good. Um, if he decides to retire, he's earned that right. I'm not going to be one going, man. This sucks. He needs to come back. Like you know, the same thing Ted Thompson said about Brett Favre when he retired 1,700 times. The the fact that that I think that I could be presumptuous enough to determine whether someone's you know wants to play football or not is just silly. Like it's it's their decision. You respect their decision either way, right? Um, but when it comes to that play and all that chatter and this and that, I'm just going to start muting people again. You know, like I've muted a lot of people, and man, it's really cleaned up the timeline. But how people would just try to find every little thing to bash Aaron Rodgers and 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 try to create that divide and you know people were talking we should trade him and this and that like we're set up for the opportunity to completely avoid what happened with Favre right and to me guys I've said it over and over and I always say this to people that make that argument that we should trade Rodgers first of all trading him is going to be god almighty it's going to be very 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 difficult if it came to that um just contractually because the Packers already made their decision you know, Michael Lombardi said it, Scott Pioli said it, um, you know, Andrew Brandt said it. So many people said it that the decision was made last offseason. They're going to commit to Aaron for as long as he wants to play until he retires. That's that's how the contract's structured for the next three years. To me, it seems as if Aaron said, I'll play it, you know, I, I'm definitely not going to play longer than three years. This might be my last year. And they structured it in a way that when he retires, the Packers will get a ton of cap relief and he can sell off into the sunset but he's going to retire as a Green Bay Packer. I mean, he said that himself, right? He was excited about that. So I'm I'm glad that uh, that that's the case and that's how it's going to turn out personally um, because we get to avoid that that whole Brett Favre scenario all over again. And, and my goal isn't um, let's try to get maximum compensation and this and that. And I, it, for me, what's most important is to – keep the the fan base intact and not fracture it the way they did when Favre left, right? Like, I think that's important for Mark Murphy and his legacy. I think it's important for Brian Gutekunst. And, and, and the reason I think they believe or agree with that sentiment is because, the, you know, the dollars, you always follow the money, no matter what it is. Plenty of conspiracy theories out there in society today, right, especially around politics. Follow the money. The money will tell you the truth. And a lot of people don't want to hear that because, you know, it might disagree with the narrative they agree with. And that's fine. Everybody's got a right to their opinion. But follow the money. And you follow the money and it suggests that that's what Goody, that's what Russ Ball, that's what Mark Murphy, that's what Matt LaFleur, the whole organization wanted to do. And I I appreciate that personally. Now, if you're telling me that Jordan Love, you know 100% Jordan Love is a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers, move forward with Jordan Love because that's what's best for the organization. That's my opinion, right? If, if that is the case. But there's not a single person on this big ball of mud that can tell me they know 100% certain that Jordan Love is better than Aaron Rodgers right now. They can't. And, and, and that's when the conversation always ends. So if that's where the conversation ends, then shut up. If that's where the conversation ends and you can't tell me that, then you're just speaking out of hate for 12, and that's cool. You, you choose to not like him. I get it. I understand it. I respect it. But please, 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 don't try to pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. Like, it drives me insane. Um, 
yeah. So anyway, we'll keep it positive, but I just, it's amazing that when the conversation boils down to that point, nobody wants to commit. Nobody does. And if they do, it always comes back to some kind of absurd argument. And, and that's exactly what it turns into. But um, let's move on to Miami. I want to hit on Miami real quick because I pulled some PFF grades. And you guys are going to hear me lean on PFF more and more. If you don't agree with PFF, that's totally cool. I respect your opinion. But this podcast is going to be very PFF driven because, again, I've cross-referenced, cross-checked all year long. I did it in the offseason, too, to try to see, okay, what are the mistakes they make? I think they're they're a great, 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 great resource, personally. So, Miami, how do they stack up offensively? <clears throat> Let's go overall, first of all. Overall, their overall PFF grade as a team is 84.4. That's eighth best in the entire NFL, Okay. So let's go to the offensive side of the ball. I mean, that suggests they're a top-10 team, right? They've they've dropped a little bit early in the season. Some people would consider them a top-3 team and a top-5 team. They seem to be a top-8 team. Now, I believe with things being cyclical and teams catching on, it's a copycat league. People are kind of catching on to them a bit. But let's try to spot. Let's try to identify the weaknesses of this team and offensively more specific right now. Um Offensively, they have the fourth highest graded offense in the NFL at 80.0. So they got a solid offense, right? Um, they're sixth in passing at a 79.7. Okay, so a, a strong borderline top five passing offense. Obviously, they got two great wide receivers. Uh, they've got a solid tight end. Um, so it makes you think, okay, why are they why are they not <clears throat> you know graded higher overall as a team, right? Well, the very next thing is pass blocking. They're 31st in pass blocking grade at a 56.5. Why do I mention that? You need to mark that as a weakness. If you're a defensive coordinator going into this week, you want to identify what they do well and what they do bad, right? And what you want to do is you want to put extra emphasis on stopping what they're good at and try to attack their weakness, okay? And you do that in a way that you don't um, you don't completely – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think it's going to come to me. You don't put yourself in a vulnerable situation where they can capitalize another aspect of the game simply because you're overloading for one weakness or one strength, right? You've got to play fundamentally sound. You've got to play within the structure of a normal defense, but try to lean and try to try to lean toward the tendencies of what they do well and what they do bad, right? So that being said, pass blocking, they're horrible at it, 31st in the league. Receiving, they're third in the league in receiving grade at 82.5. So how are they going to attack you? First of all, if they're that bad at pass blocking, the ball's going to come out quick, right? If they're that good at receiving, then you've got to have a game plan to shut down their receiving core. You've got Jalen, you've got Waddle, and you've got Tariq Hill. Those are your two threats, right? So how do you attack that? If there was a game that you were going to play snug, this is probably it. If there's a game that you're going to be aggressive on underneath routes, jumping routes, this is probably it. You got to watch that double move because Tyreek Hill will take the freaking roof off the building, right? And that's something you got to you've got to find that balance. That's what I mean by you know it's easy to look at that and go, okay, we need to jam them at the line and get pressure on the quarterback quick, right? Okay, well if you do that to the extreme level, Tyreek Hill will take the top off, three step drop. Tua just puts a little a lobber up there, and the dude's off to the races. You're talking about world-class speed, guys. This guy's he's he's even more fast. Um, he's quicker than Christian Watson, to put that into perspective, right? This is most likely the fastest receiver in the in the NFL right now, if not 
the history of the NFL. He's just he's got that kind of speed. Okay, so um, again, I would try to uh, attack the pass blocking there, but be very very cautious to receiving running the ball. They grade out twenty fourth at running the ball, seventy eight point two. Here's what I think you're going to see on on uh, Christmas Day here against Miami. Now, how cool is it? We got Christmas Day football. I'm so freaking ex- excited about it, man. Like to be sitting around with family. You've already had your Christmas morning. You got great food. Like we do, we got a tradition of Italian beef sandwiches that we do here. We order from Chicago, an Italian place up there. They ship it in, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, freeze dried or whatever. And uh, we uh, we have Italian beef on Christmas. So that Italian beef and and that that sauce that it comes in is going to be the smell is going to be through the house. Packers are going to be on the early one o'clock game here, twelve central, and uh, man, it's going to be awesome. But you you come out on Christmas Day and they're going to try to if they try to run the ball right they're they're grading 24th in the league if we're trying to stop the pass and we make ourselves vulnerable thinking they can't run the ball you got the Packers with one of the worst run defenses in the league that can really bite you in the rear end I would not be surprised if they're able to run the ball in the Packers and they completely change things up and really lean on the run heavy in this game right but Michael Lombardi suggests that the Dolphins aren't as good as their record might indicate, okay? That gives me a little bit of hope because there were some games early in the season where defenses lost the game. They didn't play the game the way they should have down the stretch in the fourth quarter, and the Dolphins came roaring back. I'd like to think the Packers can learn from other teams' mistakes and stay in this game. Now, their run blocking grade is not in the league at 69.7, okay? So they can run block. But their rushing grade isn't that well, which suggests the running backs are underperforming, but the offensive line can really run block. It's kind of diametrically opposed to the Packers. The Packers have been a great pass-blocking team, but they're horrible at run blocking. But our running backs are so good, they're able to make up for that. So it's going to be interesting. But, again, the thing that stands out to me there is their receiving is a huge, huge threat. Their pass-blocking is their weakness, okay? This could be a big game for – for Green Bay's defensive front. But again, you've got to be careful with that quick passing game, right? So let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. On defense, the Dolphins are the 13th highest graded defense. Not too bad, right? Flirting with the top 10 defense there, according to PFF, at a 71.5. Their run defense grade is fifth in the league at 76.0. You want to know how they won games? They've been able to play the run well, right, and um, control the ball not turn the ball over too much. Turnover differential, time of possession, playing good strategic football and having strong fourth quarter finishes. That's what the Miami Dolphins have been this year, uh, to the best of my knowledge. So, again, fifth and run defense. That's a positive for them, okay? Um, Tackling, though, check this out, guys. This is kind of exciting. Their run defense is solid, meaning they grade out good and gap integrity. That's basically what that means is the defenders are putting themselves in a position to stop the run. They're playing the run pretty well. But their tackling grade – 40.1, 40.1, that's 28th. Let's draw a parallel to the Green Bay Packers. We all know the Green Bay Packers tackling has been bad this year, right, especially early in the year. Um, I feel like it's kind of buttoned up a little bit here lately. Um, Green Bay grades out of the 51.0. They're 70th, guys, or 17th, I'm sorry, 17th in the NFL. So as bad as the Packers tackling has been, the Miami's has been horrendous, 40.1 tackle grade. 28th in the league. That's a part that you probably want to attack. Now, you think in the running game or the passing game? 
Why not both? People aren't going to want to hear this, but I think you're going to see a quick pass game attack here from the Packers. You might see the RPOs reemerge, right? And I know that it was a big talking point early in the season. I'm just saying, make a mental note. That might be the way that Matt LaFleur tries to attack this defense. Um, on to the next one, pass rush grade. Now, this is why this goes hand-in-hand hand with it. When I seen this, it's really when I went, wow, the Packers probably going to go to the quick game. Their pass rush grade is a 79.9. That's third in the NFL. So they have one of the best pass rushes in the league as far as PFF is concerned, and they have one of the worst tackling grades, right? But they have one of the best run defense grades. So let's suggest – if that suggests you can't run the ball, right, but they're bad at tackling and they get to the quarterback quick, that screams quick game passing, right? Isn't it funny that when you look on Miami's offensive side of the ball that we just covered, their pass blocking is 31st, which suggests they're probably going to need to get the ball out quick. This is going to be the battle of two quick passing games. I really believe that. That's that's what PFF suggests, okay? So need to kind of pay attention to that pass rush. It, you know, luckily, one of our strengths for our offensive line, probably the strength of our offensive line, is pass blocking, according to PFF, right? So maybe it, it kind of seems – maybe I'm being over overly hopeful here, but it seems like the Packers kind of match up pretty well against the Dolphins. They really do. Um, coverage grade, check this out. The uh, Miami Dolphins coverage grade is a 53.8, 27th in the league, guys, 27th in the league. You're seeing now why we may want to open up the passing game here against this team. Their coverage grade sucks. Their pass rush grade is excellent. Their tackling grade sucks. Let, let's see if we can get a hat count on the perimeter. And, look, here's the thing, too. You know, A.Q. Shipley broke this down uh, on the Pat McAfee show the other day. It's amazing how people want to talk about the McAfee show like it's a joke and they're just all oh, a bunch of buffoons. They don't know what they're talking about. They never talk about the X's and O's that's broken down. But A.Q. Shipley was talking about how, you know, coaches would, would come out in the in the team meeting before the game and say, listen, it, if you guys have got to make this running game go quick. If not, we're getting away from it. Like the coaches make that decision that quick. You know, I know Aaron Rodgers – Fans like to blame Aaron Rodgers. You know, a small, minute amount of Packer fans like to blame Aaron Rodgers for changing the play, and he he just wants to throw the ball, and he don't want to stay with the run. Blah blah blah. Aq Shipley sitting there telling you that the coaches let them know, let the offensive nine line know real quick. Like, listen, if you guys don't get this running game going quick, there's other things we need to be doing to move the ball down the field. So make it go quick. If not, we're getting away from it. That is a former, I think, ten-year vet at the NFL level playing center. That's what he said, not me. That's what he said. Not, but I'm sure you understand football better than him. I got it. Not you listening, but the people that like to pick that stuff apart and say, we need this many carries every game. That's BS. That is BS. You've got to go with the flow of the game. If you're coming out and you're only gaining two yards a carry, I'm sorry, at the end of the game, I'm not going to look back and go, they should have got Aaron Jones 25 carries. No, because I remember when they were running into the back of their offensive line for a quarter and a half, and we missed opportunities down the field because we were too stubborn to adjust to the game plan on the fly, right? So that's just kind of how I see the, the game there. But, again, coverage 27th. And then special teams. Special teams grade 54.0. Guys, they are dead freaking last in special teams grade in the NFL. To me, that's exciting. That's another point of emphasis. That's a part of an aspect of the game that you might be able to attack, okay? So 
as we went through and hit on this stuff, what are they bad at? Right? What are the what are they bad at? On offense, pass blocking. Let's get after the quarterback. To me, that suggests that you could probably only bring four. Just rush four all year or all game long. Keep more people in coverage. Play a little snug. Take the quick passing game away. Put some pressure on Tua. Guys, we've seen him get hit time and time again this year, right? Why not put pressure on him and do it in a way with a four-man rush? You're probably going to see a lot of wide nine. When you see wide nine, what happens? It opens up the middle for the running game. You've got to be aware of that. Maybe they'll do a lot of double-A gap mug, right? Maybe they'll do what they call double bear, what A.J. calls double bear, A.J. Hawk. Load the line of scrimmage and then have those guys drop back, take away, take away the, the quick passing game. I don't know, man. I'm feeling good about this game, and I could be completely wrong. You know, when we do the post-game show there on Christmas Day, I may be – you guys may look up and go, man, you really missed this one. But early indications to me suggest that the Packers kind of match up well, right? It's just is Aaron's ribs healthy enough and that thumb healthy enough for him to be effective in the short passing game? I felt like it was their last game against the Rams, and I thought he did a good job managing it. I don't think he had a great game. I don't, I don't, I'm not sitting here saying Aaron played lights out, but he managed the game enough for them to get the, get the win against a banged-up team. You know, I, I don't know, man. I, I kind of feel like if we just bring four and we stay gap gap sound against the run, Tua is not a scrambling quarterback. I know he's got the ability to, but he's not a guy that's going to be looking to run a lot of read options and things like that that Justin Fields does and and uh, and Jay, and you know Hurts does and and some of these more mobile quarterbacks. I think he'll try to stay in the pocket, bring a four man pressure, play coverage, and keep everything in front of you. Bend but don't break. I know it sounds boring, but I think that's how you beat this offense. Um, and again, maybe bring a little, maybe get a little a bit out of that cover three, cover three spinner, and maybe into a little bit of bracket coverage. With Tyreek Hill, make sure he doesn't burn you for the deep passes. So I think they're going to try to keep things in front of them, but try to play a little bit aggressive underneath because that's what Miami likes to do. Um, and then again, on defense, their tackling grade, make them tackle. Make them tackle in space. How do you do that? You attack the flat with the short passing game. You attack the uh, the uh, passing game with the RPO. You still got the run option there if you want to hand the ball off, but if the hat count suggests you swing it out to a quick smoke route and try to make them tackle, guys, that's what the PFF grades are saying we need to do. So just keep that in mind. And then, of course, they've got an excellent pass rush. You don't want Aaron doing five-step drops and reading out. I don't. I think that's that's where we can get ourselves in trouble. It's going to have to be quick RPO, uh, quick passing, and um, and kind of keep things flowing down the field small chunks at a time. And then uh, special teams is exciting. To put that into perspective, that special teams great, 54.0, they're dead last. You know, as bad as our special teams has been this year, you know, we're now grading out 17th in the NFL, 80.9. Isn't that wild? Like, they're really starting to turn it on. Like, they, you know, and Keyshawn Nixon's a big reason. Ever since Amari got cut, um, and I'm not suggesting they should have cut him. I'm just saying that he they should have known he can't play punt returner, period. But that is really stabilized, and that's exciting. This strength in this game, guys, one of the biggest strengths we have is our special teams are playing much, much, much better than Miami's. Miami is dead last. So – you, you couple those things in, it's going to come down to two things, and, and we say it all the time on this pod. Middle eight, right? The last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. Who's leading that middle eight and turnover differential? So 
We can't have any more rocket balls, any more air balls by Aaron Rodgers. He's going to have to come out and be accurate, play within the structure of the offense, and let's you know let's take advantage of the RPOs, but don't get sugared into seeing any ghosts. Right? They're they they know this too. McDaniel's a good coach. They have a solid defense set up down there. Right? Some savvy veterans. They're going to know Green Bay's probably going to try to attack with the RPO. There's a good chance of that. Right? So if that's the case. You don't want to get sugared into a look that we've seen Aaron get into time and time again, more specifically the Detroit game, where in my opinion was his worst game of the season, where he got fooled time and time again. Coach Hahn did a good job on on uh, Chalk Talk outlining that and how they were kind of showing pressure, dropping into the throwing lanes, and that's that's how Aaron hit the defender in the face with the ball. Um, it's going to be a, a nice little game of, of chess, not checkers, on Sunday. I'm excited for it. If you guys haven't seen – where Coach McDaniel came out and talked about how much Matt LaFleur means to him and how he got him his second chance in coaching. I'm not going to bore you with all the details. It really was cool to me. If you go to my Twitter page, I think you could see it should be just a few tweets down. I retweeted the article where the screenshots of the article talking about exactly um, what McDaniel said about LaFleur. These guys absolutely adore each other, but you can bet your rear end they know each other better than any two coaches in the league. They came up together. Right. And LaFleur, a little more veteran than McDaniel, obviously. This is going to be a great game of chess. Uh, the temperature, I think they're calling for anywhere from 65 to 75 degrees in Miami. The weather's going to be nice. Um, so there's not going to be any kind of factor there. It's going to come down to um, who makes the mistakes and who takes advantage of them. That's really what it's going to come down to in this game. I believe that. But I think the Packers have a legit shot of winning it. Um, am I putting money on it? You know, pre-game, no, I'm not. I don't feel that well about it. But I, I think some people are writing the Packers off in this game against Miami. And uh, according to PFF, the Packers kind of match up pretty well with them. So I'm excited to see that. I'm also excited to see Romeo Dobbs get more snaps because the guy, you know, he proved this last game, look, there's no rust. <laughs> there's no rust at all. So let's go out there and play him. Lazard is just going to have to miss snaps. I'd have Cobby in the slot. I would have Dobbs at the X. I'd have uh, um, Christian at the Z and vice versa, do a lot of Z motion. You notice we haven't seen a reverse from Christian in a little bit, right? Let's break that out. Let's break that out again. Let's get them, Let's get a lot more motion and show them that look, and let's see if we can put them in a vulnerable state and, and go out there and get this W. This is must win, guys. The Packers have got to win from here on out. If they lose this game, then it's it's mo they're most likely going to be eliminated from the playoffs. There's still a scenario where if they lose, they can still be in it, I believe, if I understood correctly. We'll talk about that on Saturday's show. And I'm going to try to get some of the guys together on the show. Hopefully we can make that happen. But, again, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. We're still playing, right? Still playing for a playoff spot. And all you got to do is get in. You get in, you never know what can happen. So, appreciate you guys' time. And, again, sorry for going long-winded on the front side of this pod. I just wanted to kind of touch on the trip because, guys, I've got like three or four emails of people going, man, how was the trip, this and that. And I, and I keep telling them when I get back to Tennessee, I'm going to do a pod and we'll talk about it. So I just want to touch on it real quick. Also, I want to apologize to all you guys and gals for not getting more pods out. We did one while we were in Green Bay. The quality was horrible because I'm trying to do it mobily and, um, you know, on my phone. And I, I would just much rather not do a show than do one that's – that you guys, you know, have to struggle to hear or skip ahead and listen to, get your hopes up that, hey, there's a pod out. Ah, crap, I can't even understand what he's saying. Um, so uh, please forgive me for that. 
Um, we're going to be back on a regular schedule now. That's the goal. Even through the holidays, I know Saturday's Christmas Eve, but I'm going to try to do a pod Saturday. Uh, we're going to do a post-game show Sunday on Christmas. I'm committed to doing that as long as my wife doesn't threaten to divorce me for coming up here and doing a pod while the family's together. <laughs> so um, we're going to do everything we can to make it happen. But, again, thank you guys for being patient while we were in Green Bay. So hope everybody has a great day. Don't forget about the giveaway. Go to my Twitter page. Make sure you retweet that tweet. Get yourself entered in the contest. Again, one last congratulations to Seth Ruder for winning the Monday Night Football giveaway. It was awesome meeting him and look forward to many more moving forward. So, as always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go Pack Go.